0: I've learned a lot over my career and I think that in the last 12 months I have learned how to connect and work with others in the profession in a way that I had never done before. I wish that I knew how to do then what I know how to do now because I have never felt more supported. A lot of the work that I did, sometimes I felt like I was alone, that there was not help out there. And I really feel like some of the challenges that I have gone through in my career, had I really sought out some of those resources and used them to the fullest extent, some of the bumps might not have been quite as bumpy as they were.
1: Welcome to the Council Podcast a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is Lisa Lang, Lisa and I connected on LinkedIn during the course of this year and her consistently insightful content certainly caught my eye. Lisa is the general counsel at Kentucky State University in the US. As you will hear, she has had quite the journey to her current position, including active duty in the US military. Lisa was a joy to speak with and if you aren't already enjoying her content on LinkedIn, I certainly suggest that you go and connect with her. I've included a link in the show notes. Can you believe that it has been six months since I started this podcast? I certainly can't. It's been awesome. And your support has exceeded my wildest expectations. I'm taking a break over the Australian summer, but we'll be back in your ears in the new year with plenty of amazing guests. I feel like we've only just scratched the surface of in-house stories. I recommend listening to past episodes. If you need more content over the coming weeks enjoy this episode with lisa lang and i'll see you all in 2021. thank you for joining me today lisa and it is so lovely to be speaking to you in person it is
0: i'm very excited to be speaking to you as well
1: and you're joining us from kentucky state in the us so thank you for taking time out of your sunday evening it is yeah, it's a real honor to meet you and, and have a chat because we've connected online for many months now, LinkedIn in particular, and now we actually get to have a chat face-to-face or, or I suppose ear-to-ear. So thank you again.
0: Thank you so much.
1: All right, Lisa, tell me if you had a limitless credit card but could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why?
0: So given uh, we are doing this interview podcast during the pandemic, I would have to say that I would love to be able to go to one of those patio stores to buy a hot tub and a full set of lawn furniture since we will be staycationing here um, at my Mm. home for the uh, foreseeable
1: future. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Well, I mean, actually, no, it's not fantastic. (laughs) Make the best of of things as they are. Absolutely. A hot tub sounds amazing. All right. (laughs) I love that answer. If it can't be travel and you have to stay in, at least have a, a nice, relaxing, comfortable backyard, outdoor area.
0: That's right. I want a villa in the back to make me feel like I'm anywhere but here. Lisa, what was your
1: first legal job?
0: So, my first legal job was actually in the military. So, I was okay. a legal specialist in the
1: Army. Oh, my goodness. Tell us about that. How does that come to be?
0: Yeah, well, that's that's a long and sordid tale. But to kind to of summarize it very quickly, I had always thought that being a lawyer was something that I wanted to do but as a result of some experiences I had in high school, I I had a senior debate and um, I got up in front of the entire school and froze. (laughs) So as of my senior year of high school, I was like, yeah, no, sign from God. This is not what I will be doing. So I went to college to be a a teacher. I think a lot of people want to do what they think they're the best at doing, and so I had always been told that I had uh, a knack for for teaching and education, and so that's what I chose to do, and I went to school for four years to do it, and right before I went to student teach, I panicked, and I thought, you know, I really don't want to do this. What I really want to do is I want to go into the legal profession, so I just finished up. I dropped my education education major and I just majored instead in English. Got out of college and thought long and hard about going into law school. But at that time, the thought of writing another paper or reading another book really didn't appeal. And plus, I also knew that it was going to be a very competitive venture. So I went ahead and I got married to my husband who was in the military, and I started to take some classes at night while he was deployed. And they were classes in paralegal studies. And I thought, you know, let's just make sure that this is something that I really want to do before I put the commitment into going into law school. I was taking classes at night and a recruiter came in from the military and they said that they were recruiting for what he said was a higher caliber of enlisted soldiers to go into the legal specialist field as a paralegal in the JAG Corps, and obviously you can't really be in the JAG Corps as an officer if you don't have a JD. So they were they were pushing this military occupational specialty, and so I thought, you know what. This is something. Why don't I'll just give it a shot? I can't get a job as a paralegal because nobody wants uh, an English major. They'd rather have a uh, secretary with legal skills. So I went into the military as a paralegal, and my husband got out, and I became oh, the military goodness. member, and my husband became the dependent. There you go. You swapped. We did. We we absolutely did. And he went to school. Wow.
1: What kind of work would you doing as paralegal in the military?
0: So when you go into the military, at least in the army back twenty years ago, when I did it, you took classes in all sorts of areas so there was a legal assistance area there was a claims area there was a criminal justice area and in some posts where they had hospitals i'm sure there were opportunities for paralegals to work in a military hospital setting so i worked in all of those settings and i was also attached to a military uh, police brigade in germany and we were deployed to Bosnia-Herzegovina. And when we were deployed for a year, a lot of what we did there had to do with um, international claims. And we had some slightly different rules of engagement, slightly different areas, a deployment setting than we had when we were stationed on a military post.
1: That's absolutely fascinating. And again, another example of being able to work in a legal space in, in a way that you may not have originally intended or even realized was was a way that you could practice.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the real test of resilience for me was when we deployed to Bosnia-Herzegovina. At the time, I had just had a baby. And so my son was probably about 4 months old at the time when we received our orders or at least we were told we would be receiving our deployment orders. Wow. So it was Christmas Eve when we were on the runway in our Humvees waiting for our orders to deploy and I was leaving at home my husband and my uh, daughter was I think about 18 months at the time and my son who was about 4 or 5 months and the orders that that we were waiting on were going to be close to a year. So wow. so that was stressful being being a parent. Part of the problem when you're in those situations, it's going into the unknown. And part mm. of what was difficult about this military police brigade that I was attached to was their job was to be the first units on the ground to secure supply lines so that everybody could start deploying out there. And so, you know, Bosnia Herzegovina at the time there was unexploded ordinances Anywhere that you did not have pavement, and so as we were driving, you know, we received a lot of warnings about how we had to be careful about staying on a well-traveled road because of unexploited ordinances. And then you also never know knew who is friend or foe because you know it's it's not like you're on a battlefront and people are wearing all everybody combatants are wearing uniforms. So it, the unknown is 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 really unnerving.
1: Wow. And it's out of your power, how long you're there. It's, you know, my goodness, that's some, some excellent training for, for law firm life in particular. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. And, you know, part of it too is, and this is the thing, you know, when you go to law school, and I think maybe in the UK and maybe in Australia, it seems to me based on the little that I know with your training contracts, you all have a practical aspect that we really lack in the States. And so part of uh, the training I got when I was in the military was having to learn these areas without necessarily anybody there to teach it to you. So we walked in with a general understanding based on our advanced I- individual training. But when you get deployed, my JAG officer was not co-located with us. And so, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I kind of had to do the, the figure out the best I could figure out because I didn't get to talk to him on. On a daily basis. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's that's pretty amazing. I had no idea this yeah. was how you began your legal life. And it seems yeah. so far away from how you're practicing now, you know, twenty years later. how do we get to back to civilian life? What's what's the next step after the military?
0: Well, after Bosnia, Herzegovina, that was it for me in the military. When I went in, I did not have children. And, And it's easy to raise your hand and say, yes, I'm willing to do it before you've had children, but after mm. you've done it, you really have to think long and hard about what it is you want to do with your life, and uh, it was a hard decision for my husband and I, because both, you know, my son was born in Germany, and then my daughter was raised in Germany, and the thought of exposing our children to cultures all over the world was something, you know, we really thought long and hard about, you know, maybe this this is worth it, because of what we can provide our kids, but all but mm. Ultimately, after the, the the Bosnia-Herzegovina experience, we decided that that was not something, a long-term career that I wanted. So I extended long enough to come back from Germany because I was um, stationed in Mannheim, Germany at the time. I deployed to Bosnia and we returned back to the States for a brief tour, I guess, of at Fort Knox in Kentucky. And Fort Knox was the closest thing to my home in Illinois. And it was also my original duty station. And so I had a friend who helped me navigate my way back to Fort Knox. And I went to Fort Knox for, I mean, I think it was about a year. And then I got out. And when I got out, I had difficulty finding a job in Illinois. And I found a job in Kentucky, and I also, soon after finding that job as a paralegal in a law firm, I um, applied for and was accepted to a law school program in the evening with um, the University of Louisville, the Brandeis School of Law, and so I worked full-time during the day, and I went to school at night.
1: And you had two small children.
0: I did, and then (laughs) sometimes, you know, life, you don't always... Do a great job of planning, and I ended up getting pregnant my second semester, I think, of my my first year in law school. And so, yeah, no, then it was three children.
1: Oh my goodness, Lisa! (laughs) How did you manage? Was that just like it takes a village situation? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, there's nothing like going home one night and I had shared with my husband that I was pregnant and I thought I had done it out of earshot of my daughter uh, who was nine at the time and she had bionic ears and she heard. I was in class one night and apparently my husband and my daughter Alex were talking about the fact that I was having a baby and uh, my seven-year-old Mason was at the table and they forgot he did not know. So I came home that night from school and my husband said you need to go talk to your son. He was in bed and I said okay and he said he's got he really upset with you and I was like okay, so I went in, and I tucked him in, and there's nothing like your your seven-year-old asking you if you're pregnant, and then ask you, how could you let that happen, and I was just, you know, at that moment, I was a little speechless. I was like, you know, really not sure, and yeah, to the to this day, my youngest, Trey, likes to talk about how he was an accident, and I was like, no, you're just the gift from God.
1: A surprise, a happy surprise.
0: <laughs> it, it, it was happy, you know, when I was, my my exams, when my mom was sitting out in the hallway, holding him as I was taking an exam so I could come out and nurse him you know it didn't feel like a gift at that time but we got through
1: you did you did get through one day at a time i suspect oh, one hour one at hour hour a
0: time yes yeah.
1: <laughs> so you finish law school you're doing that at the night you've got two kids another on the way working full time wife friend daughter all of the things like yeah. you know that's that's quite a lot and and I, I want to take you back to that time and ask you, you know, if you can't even remember, it's probably just <laughs> yeah. a big blur. But what are your strongest memories of your life as an early career lawyer once you were practicing?
0: You know, what, what I really enjoyed about my path was that I... I am the type of learn. Socratic method is not a great way for me to learn. Mm. Learning for me is done better through experience. And so what I felt fortunate to do was I worked with a great set of attorneys who fully supported my law school journey. And while I was a paralegal, they provided me with some opportunities to be able to start doing some entry level lawyer work you know, to the extent that I could without a license. And then they ended up hiring me as an associate attorney after I completed law school. So I feel like I was fortunate in that my transition felt a little bit more gradual I don't think it was the rude awakening I've heard some people describing their experience to be because uh, I really knew and understood what I was getting to and I used to the, the the attorney that I used to work for the senior associate if I ever complained about anything when I was a junior associate she would look at me and she would go, least I don't want to hear it you knew exactly what you were getting into when you started this
1: Fair enough. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that shut yeah, me no, right up. <laughs> I bet. What do you say to that? I mean, yeah, oh, nothing. Yeah. I'd love to know what your catalyst for or what the catalyst for your journey to in-house practice was.
0: Well, and you know, and that's so funny. And, and I've thought a lot about it over the years because I really feel like, it, it's just really funny how i managed to make it where i got to it's not like i had this this big plan but when you look back on it everything that i did and all my experiences seem to have to, to make sense so yes. it yeah. leads up
1: when you look backwards doesn't it oh, but when it you look forward does. Yeah, I totally relate yeah. to that. It, each step doesn't really make sense until you you look back and then there's this this link. Just, that yeah, this just ask does. my family.
0: <laughs> they kept telling me, they kept every every decision I made, I think they thought I lost my mind. So, I after about, I want to say 4 years in private practice, I ended up leaving and I went to uh, work for the Kentucky Attorney General's office. I was so grateful that I did because when you're in a law firm, we had brief banks and people had done a lot of what you were doing. And so there was a lot you could rely on. And what was so great when I moved to the attorney general's office is I didn't have the brief bank and I didn't have samples of motions that everybody else had done. And I was litigating cases on behalf of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And I was responsible 100% for my own cases. And so what that gave me was a real ability to just kind of, I started drafting pleadings from scratch and I started formulating my own strategy for the cases that I was handling and that was really empowering. And the way things work when you work at the Attorney General's office, at least in Kentucky, is by statute the Attorney General's office is supposed to represent all state agencies in any kind of legal action and so agencies would refer their cases to the Attorney General's office and then my boss would assign those cases out and uh, over time, I had an agency client that requested that I handle their cases. And so I started handling all of the cases for the Kentucky Department of Education. Okay. And So it got it soon got to the point where I was handling their cases almost exclusively and I got a call one day my boss had left and I became the person in the executive director for the uh, litigation section and I was the one handing handing out cases and I had just because. I had gotten to work with KDE so often, I, st- I just started handling all of their cases, and then I farmed out all the other agency cases to other attorneys, and I got a call one day and they said, we just wanted to let you know that we're going to, we no longer need the services of the Attorney General's office, we are going to be um, sending a letter requesting permission to be able to bring the position in-house because of the number of cases we had, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry to see you go, and, you know, I, i I'll work, I'll miss working for you. I really enjoyed the work that I was doing with you all. And the HR director said, no, you don't, you misunderstand. (laughs) I'm asking you to apply for the position as well that we are setting up. So I applied for that position and I essentially wheeled my filing cabinet over to the Kentucky Department of Education. And that role was different insofar as it wasn't a role that was a hundred percent litigation. So when I was at the law firm, and then when I was with the attorney general's office, it was 100% litigation. But Mm. what was so fun about the position that I got at the Kentucky Department of Education is that it was a role where I was an assistant general counsel, and my responsibilities entailed more than just litigation. And so what I enjoyed most about it was to have the opportunity to talk to people within the department and talk about what kinds of things were occurring. Occurring that resulted in litigation. So for the first time, I started having the ability to shape the facts before it went into litigation. Mm. And that, that, that is something I really enjoy about in-house work because you get to work proactively and not reactively yes. to problems.
1: That's such a good point. You get to go in at the very beginning and risk minimize so that it doesn't become an issue down at the the back end. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And how lovely for you to have that, yeah, that ability to come in and actually make that change and have that impact all the way through the whole life cycle of a matter, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I'm seeing a trend, you know, you started with your university or your college education in teaching. And now you're kind of back with the teachers again. (laughs)
0: That's right. And that's why I say, you know, it's so funny because my family all, you know, like, oh, of course, everything Lisa did make complete sense. And I was like, what are you talking about? You kept telling me at every point that I was out of my mind. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, and, and I think the reason why I was able to do as well as I did in the work that I did. And this is why I talk about being a strategic partner with the organization for which you are the in-house counsel. It's important for you to know and understand their work and Mm. you need to know it from a business perspective. And so I do think because I started my career in education, it did give me the opportunity and ability to understand the subject matter to a level that many people may not have otherwise known just because of my background.
1: And that's a wonderful segue into your current position as well. Tell us about a day in your legal life now and where you are and what you're doing.
0: Holy cow. So I am currently the general counsel uh, for Kentucky State University, and so I am responsible for a very small but effective, I like to think, legal team on the campus. So I have a deputy general counsel, and I have a paralegal, and we have an administrative assistant.
1: Wow, that is small. Yeah. So effectively, two legal practitioners.
0: Yes, and and you know, and the thing that that people I think may not understand, while Kentucky State University is a a small public, historically black uh, college and university, it does not matter how big you are because the law requires you to have certain types of positions and so it doesn't matter if you're serving 2000 students or if you're serving 20,000 students you still have a legal obligation to satisfy all of the same regulatory requirements and so the work that my office does is no different than any other office that a larger university does except i would say that my deputy general counsel and i are the ones that have to handle everything whereas Mm. someone from a larger university may have like a whole section of lawyers who handle purchasing and procurement or Mm. hr we don't have that luxury Scholl and i handle everything between the two of us
1: what kind of things do you do in the team to just deal with that volume of matters amongst the two of you practicing?
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I think this is where being a strategic partner comes in. I think that I've been there about three years and and, and I think that our level of support has kind of evolved over time. So we were probably more hands-on when we first got there, but our internal Partners handle a lot of their work day to day, and when they come on an issue that they would like legal support, they will call us and we'll talk through. So, Mm. you know, it's not, we're not there to do the work of the university, we're there to support those people who are doing the work of the university. What's been so great over these last few years is that the different people in the different sections have grown into their roles just as we've grown into their roles. And so we're probably not as involved day to day on some things, but on other things, we're probably more involved just because of uh, the pandemic and COVID mm-hmm. and the fact that everything seems to change on a daily basis. And so You know, we circle back, right now we're doing what our president calls morning sprint calls. So I get on the phone with the leadership team six days out of seven days to talk through any issues that anyone on the team is experiencing because so much of what we're experiencing right now is nothing like we've ever experienced before. So. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been really, really busy, but it's been busy in a different kind of way.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. When I think of the industries that have been completely disrupted by COVID, I think education is like number two after the health. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I can't really imagine how your life has been turned upside down within your team and within the wider university and all of the things that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's not at all what you would have been doing this time last year. Do you think that this entire pandemic has fundamentally shifted the education sector or do you think it might bounce back to the way that things were before?
0: I really have a hard time seeing anything being exactly like it was before and I think that education has really had to start thinking about how things are being done. So, yeah, I think that there has been some disruption, but, you know, to some extent, I don't think that it's all negative. I think nobody would have ever wanted us to have to move um, in this direction this quickly, but I do think that we were already moving to some extent in this direction. The, The thing with COVID though, is it's just pushed us a lot faster.
1: And if we look, you know, even looking back across the entire span of your career, which has so many fascinating aspects, I had no idea. If we look back at it all, I'd love to ask about one of the mistakes or or an area where you look and you think, gosh, I wish I did that differently. What was that? and, And what have you learned from a time like that?
0: I've learned a lot over my career and I think that in the last 12 months I have learned how to connect and work with others in the profession in a way that I had never done before. And I wish that I knew how to do then what I know how to do now because I have never felt more supported because of what I've done in terms of reaching out and talking with other people. A lot of the work that I did, sometimes I felt like I was alone and that that there was not help out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just blown away now yes there are some resources now available to young attorneys that may not have been available to me when i was a young attorney but there's a lot of resources that have always been there and i really feel like some of the challenges that i have gone through in my career had i really sought out some of those resources and used them to the fullest extent i think i think i could have some of the bumps might not have been quite as bumpy as they were
1: yeah for sure and can you tell us about some of those resources?
0: I am an absolute 100% fan of LinkedIn. And I there thought some, that might
1: be number one. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It, but, but you know what is so funny is that I've learned so much about all of these other resources that are online to help in terms of your emotional health, mentorship. There's just so many people out there who have the ability to assist and support and help in whatever areas that you're struggling it with. And, or it, you know, it could be not understanding an area of the law, maybe being unsure of whether or not the area of law you're in is the one you want to be in addiction, mental illness. I mean, there's just so many resources out there and there are so many people out there who've been through what you've been through it's just a matter of of reaching out and looking for those people who um, are experts in those areas and know where those resources are and right now more than ever before a lot of those resources are absolutely 100% free
1: and and LinkedIn is it's a fascinating place to be at the moment. Like I find myself there more than most of my other social media channels, which is crazy because it used to just be a place for resumes and humble bragging. And now it's yeah. absolutely phenomenal. I mean, that's how you and I connected. And I feel like we're part of a, a much bigger community of, of lawyers and in-house lawyers who are present and engaged and connecting on LinkedIn. And it's a, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a phenomenal way to connect and to learn from some really cool people. I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I loved your podcast with Sterling Miller.
1: I have been reading his stuff.
0: (laughs) The legend. Yes. And I have been reading his stuff for a long time. And, you know, part of it is if you're a general counsel, it's not like when you are at a law firm and there is, you know, 10 associates on your floor. And if you're you know, unsure of how to handle something, you just get up and, you know, you walk down the hall to talk to them or you email them or message them or pick up the phone. When you're a general counsel, you're supposed to be the one who knows everything. And you don't really necessarily have that opportunity to know other people who are dealing with the same things you are dealing with because they're not on your campus. And so LinkedIn has given me this virtual community where I can I have i can't tell you how many people I've just, I've messaged and then we've had have a chat and talked about, you know, the issues that we have been um, grappling with and brainstorming about best ways to handle things.
1: If you were to give advice to someone listening that wanted to get a little bit more involved with LinkedIn, but wasn't really sure where to start, what would you say?
0: Well, and you know, I think, I think the way I got involved it was a little overwhelming, at first, and and you know when I was in litigation, it was and with the law firm, it was just drilled in our heads. Basically, you stayed away from social media you know, because there was too many opportunities to find yourself getting in trouble. And that was me about 12 months ago. But I started for whatever reason, just kind of getting on the platform and reading the articles, quite frankly. And there were things on there that I thought was interesting or, you know, that I wanted to contribute. So I initially just started reading and then liking content. And then I got to the point where I kind of stepped out and then I started commenting occasionally. And then I eventually got to the point where I felt comfortable and I started creating my own content. But I think that's where you start. It, it is uncomfortable at first. And I still remember the first time I did a post myself, it was I do it right before I go to work in the morning. And so I remember <laughs> hitting the post button. And then deleting LinkedIn off my phone and then oh, not, Oh no. yeah, because I was like scared to death. Yes. And you know what? And a lot of times I'm laying in my bed when I'm posting in the morning oh. right before I go to the gym. Yeah. So it was literally like putting the covers over your head and going, <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this. And you know, and what I, and the reason I think I like LinkedIn so much as opposed to Facebook Facebook and some of the other mediums you have the ability to be anonymous and it's not necessarily connected to your work. And so the thing mm. I like about LinkedIn is that I find it to be something that is more it's it's professional. There is a level of civility and professionalism that is on that platform and so you know I'm not saying that there's not disagreements or there there's sometimes unkind things said but I think for the most part the people that are in my network and the people that I connect with are people who are generally trying to uplift and support each other and so to the extent that you're afraid to get on there I would say you know give it a shot because I, I I just I've not felt that negativity in the in the entire 12 months that I've been doing what I'm doing
1: yeah I would completely agree with that It's a wonderful place to express your views. They can be personal and and professional, and there is a line, and and there's certainly some decorum to be aware of. I I often think, is this something that my CEO would be happy for me to be posting? And that's my filter because I am on there as a representative of the company as well as myself.
0: Yes, and there are things... I will not comment on for that very reason, um, because I am very cognizant of that. And some of my, well, the, my most recent activity, I did run past my president before I did it. So we just did a podcast, my CFO and I did a podcast and I asked him and Patricia Baxter, who did that, the defense never rests, was gracious enough to allow us to share it with our president before we agreed to let her post it. So I do mm. appreciate that because we do represent our institution. And we wanted to put our institution in the best light possible.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Lisa, I'd love to ask about career advice and what might be one of the best pieces of career advice that you've ever been given.
0: Yeah, you know, the one thing that I think I would say is that I think you need to be very careful about trying to chart your path explicitly too early I think especially when you're a lawyer it's really hard when you're going to law school to know exactly what it is you want to do and I think you risk uh, but by being Eliminate the opportunity to see different possibilities if you are too narrow in your focus. And so, you know, I've, the analogy I like to give is, is being on a river. You know, I mean, I think making a plan is fine, but you know, let, let your career take you where it takes you and then just be open for other opportunities and be willing to change directions at any point if you're beginning to feel like you're being pulled in a different direction.
1: That's fantastic advice. I love that. It even speaks to the fact that when we're in law school, we don't even know what all of the opportunities are. We have such a narrow view of what it could even look like to be a lawyer. And even in-house practice is not something that's typically spoken about at law school. So if you have such a narrow mind, you might miss out on some really awesome things that maybe suit your personality or the way that you'd like to practice or your values. So I think that's, yeah, wonderful advice.
0: And we are so limited by what we see in the media. And I do remember I was participating in a Zoom meeting with some students from law school, and everybody said they wanted to be a litigator, and everybody wanted to be a prosecutor or a public defender. And I just thought, oh my gosh, there's so much, there are so many other things to do out there that you can make an impact. But, you know, to some extent, I think that that's all they know, because that's all they've seen portrayed
1: in the media. You cannot be what you cannot see. Correct. Lisa, we're coming up on time, and I'm going to let you get on with your evening, but I have two more questions. The first is, and I'd love to know, what are you excited about at the moment? So
0: today we just released uh, a book on Amazon. It's called Hashtag uh, Networked, and it is a it's an anthology. Um, of 20 female lawyers getting through the pandemic. So Congratulations. I'm really excited
1: about that. Yes, thank you. I have seen that. It is all over LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> well, when You're you've like- got
0: 20 women lawyers yes. who know how to network, I'm sure it's uh, people are probably going, can we please talk about something else at this point?
1: <laughs> no, not yet. It's, it's awesome. I cannot wait to, to get my hands on it myself. And lastly, and you know, we've kind of answered this, but I'd love to know where my listeners can connect with you online.
0: About the only way you can do it is the only pla- uh, social media platform I, I'm on is LinkedIn. And you can follow me at hashtag lawyer Lisa Lang.
1: I love your hashtag. I love your content. Brilliant stuff all the time. It's so great to have spent some time with you, Lisa. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It was fun.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Counsel. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.